Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Our guest today is Nick Kroll, comedian, writer, and co-creator of the Netflix animated hit Big Mouth, an honest and hilarious show about the physical, social, and emotional roller coaster that is puberty and adolescence. Nick also happens to be the younger brother of my co-host, Vanessa Kroll Bennett. Hey, Nick. Hello. Hi, Nick. Hi. <laughs> you caught me as I was sipping my tea. It makes, I, I like when we talk about this, I, I really want to call you Nikki. Yeah. It's like, I just go back to those, those years, but I won't. You're welcome to call me Nikki. It took me like 20 years to stop calling you Nikki, and I don't want to. I don't well, want to go I, back to that. I was Nikki in this period of time around puberty. I was still Nikki. It was like when I was about 16 that I started introducing myself as Nick, because Nikki wasn't going to get laid, but <laughs> Nick was. But eventually, Nick, yeah, eventually, <laughs> around 19. Let's talk when you're Nicholas. Yes. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> Oh, my God. Nick's full name is Nicholas James Kroll. My grandmother was like, he's like the first Jewish pope. (laughs) (laughs) So about six or seven years ago, I called you. It was a Sunday night. And I said, hey, I just like wanted to fill you in on this project I'm working on, creating sex positive content for tweens and teens. And you paused Mm -hmm. and you were like, That's so weird. Andrew Goldberg and I are pitching an animated show about our years in middle school and about puberty. And it's really not entirely a coincidence that you and I are both working in this area in different ways. Yeah. I mean, I think the difference being that you were framing it as sex positive content (laughs) and there's (laughs) almost nothing positive about the sex that we're talking about on Big Mouth. Uh, Although I actually would firmly disagree with that. I think that's my my sort of funny answer. But yeah, I think it is not surprising that we both have been interested in this space because, well, but I don't think it's, it, I mean, it's why I think it's smart that you guys are doing this show in general and, and why I, I think Big Mouth has worked is because I believe that period of time of puberty, adolescence, and that those teen and tween years are so foundationally important to, yeah. to who we all become. And also, when you become the parent of a child that age, from what I've observed, it's some of the most complicated and tumultuous time in parenting. So, but I think specifically why you and I were focused in that space, I, 
I actually don't know. I'm curious to hear what your answer is. What it? I mean, so I don't know if you remember this, but when we, Nick and Cara, Nick and I had rooms next door to each other and we had a shared loft above the rooms. And when we had sleepovers, we would each have a friend and we would kind of go between the two rooms. And one of the activities that we would do on our sleepovers, Nick with a male friend and me with a female friend, is we would sit and read the book, What's Happening to Mm, Me, mm -hmm. which was all about (laughs) puberty. And that was like, that was kind of like sleepover material, hangout material was like looking at the book. And Nick was really generous because he used to let us spend more time on the female, you know, where you're trying to figure out which body is mine. But like, it was in the air. It was in the conversation, at least uh, between us Mm -hmm. at home. And mom definitely talked sure about it yeah I, I think our that uh, yes that book is those those drawings are seared in my brain yeah and when we started working on big mouth it was like can we do what we would say the funny version of this like the very sort of frank uh the frank discussion of this and and it was helpful to see and i have a very clear memory of like the the different <clears throat> the bodies as they grow yeah and like what's exactly. this boy what's a boy at 7 10 13 18, 24, and like you, and I remember being like looking at the penises being like, okay, that's, and that's, that, I mean, that brings us to, I think, you know, what, why I'm still interested in this area is this, this like um, compare and contrasting that we all do. Yeah. uh, Especially when, well, at that age and then for the rest of our lives. And I think puberty, no matter where you fall in the spectrum of what's happening to you, what I have realized now in doing the show is like just about everybody's uncomfortable with it. Nobody's like at ease with whether you're a late bloomer uh, like I was and I felt behind the curve or inadequate in that way, or you're an early bloomer and everything is raging and running out of control. You also feel uncomfortable and dislocated inside of it. Or if you're squarely in the middle, like you're, you feel like, okay, I feel just average inside of this, but it doesn't matter. Like what, what I think, what we, we we set out to do with Big Mouth was to to try to cover the spectrum of those experiences and more than anything, just like let people know and specifically let kids know that they are not alone going through this, that like we all are, we all went through this, we're all going through it and all of it is normal. Right. I, yeah. I love that your your tome was this book that gave um, an actual timeline that was supposed to be very precise. Right? <laughs> I remember the book really well, yeah. um, and and then you know we all fail to meet the exact definition of the picture, yep. which is complicated. Yes, right. Yeah, it's you know it's it's so it was so revolutionary to have a Bible that told you when everything was supposed to happen, and then when. It really didn't work out that way. And on the pediatric side, parents come in now very worried, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a worry around a lot of these issues. And it's, it's well, the book says, right? right? And, and I actually wonder if it's the book that they read when they were 10 sure. or 12, right? Yeah. What's happening to me? And, and this is what it was supposed to be. And it's not the same anymore. Well, and I would imagine now with, with, with amount of information on the web that it's also like the book says, but also this website, this random thing that we Googled and whatever, who's ever right. paid to have or, the highest Google hit rate is telling us like. Or TikTok, this TikTok that I watched yeah. with my yes. kid. Yeah. So, and, Cara, and, and you know, I, I'll just add to that, that there are people who only use one source and that one source is often not correct. And then there are people who use like 17 sources and they try to compare all 17 sources <laughs> and all 17 sources have different answers. Right. And so minds are blown in all directions. Yeah. It doesn't matter Little what do they know, of, they just needed to come to this podcast all, to yeah, get all it. the information. Every every week. <laughs> Join us every week for your one source. Cara, yeah. um, so 20 years ago, actually, Nick, you would have been, it would have been 30 years ago. What was the kind of the average age for onset of male puberty? What would have been considered early or late? Or if you want to start with what it is now and kind of back into that, just to give folks a context for what would be considered, as Nick described, a late bloomer. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give it, I'll, I'll roll it back actually the 1940s because it's kind of interesting history. Mm. In the 1940s in the UK, a guy named Tanner did a study of kids who were in orphanages. It was post-World War II. And what he did is he and an associate went into these orphanages and took pictures 
this study would never yeah, be yeah. done right. today. Two pictures of naked orphans. <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and he did that for 30 years mm-hmm. and he followed kids. And what he was able to do was he was able to create a photographic uh, library and then he could say, what the average onset of puberty was when you looked at breast development, when you looked at um, hair growth, which, um, as Vanessa and I talk about a lot, is not really puberty hair. It's its um, its own path, but he put that in his schema. Mm-hmm. And then testicular and penile growth. And he did this in the 40s, 50s, 60s, into the very early 70s. And that is how we got these tanner stages that are really these hallmarks of are you a one, a two, a three, a four, or a five on breast development, testicular and penile growth, and hair development? Mm-hmm. One is prepubescent. Five is, woohoo, you made it, adult. Mm-hmm. And uh, two, three, four is everything in between. Um, when the study came out, he declared that normal onset of puberty was 11 to 11 and a half for males. Mm. Okay. That was normal. And now, that's in the 1940s. 40s, 40s. 50s, 60s. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was, that was, the stage for 20 years. And that is what I was taught in medical school in the 1990s, is that was what was normal. So 30 years later, that was still the, what was considered normal. in medical school, Tanner staging is still done and in residency and in practice. And it's been a fight to get the redefinition of timing because Tanner was the only guy who collected the data and the data became so entrenched. Mm -hmm. The other thing is Tanner never examined anyone. He just looked at pictures. Mm. So he, all he was going on was photographic evidence, which for hair, okay, I right. can see that. Right. For testicular growth, okay. But for breast growth, it's really tricky. Mm-hmm. And so you got really old technology and really old data. And that's where these other studies have come in over the years and looked at how puberty has marched backwards. And for a later bloomer, March today, backwards in terms of starting started. earlier than it used to. So so in two, in. 2010 or 11 data was released that actually the average age for boys was more like nine or 10. And that's Not based on testicular growth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And, but the later bloomers were always defined the same way. Mm-hmm. If you're 14 and nothing's going on, mm-hmm. you're a late bloomer. And that has not changed that's since my, Tanner. It's my favorite Jeff Foxworthy joke. <laughs> <laughs> If you don't have pubes by the time you're 14 years old, you might be a little <laughs> It's so funny hearing you talk about it. It brings me anxiety just hearing that, of being like, where do I, where, like, I still am triggered to be like, where do I sit? Where am I in that? Like, is it, you know, of, of like, oh, 10, 11. No, no, that wasn't, you know what I mean? So yeah. it, it still weirdly sits in me somewhere, of you know? And, and frankly, in me too, and I would imagine in Vanessa too, because this notion that there's a normal, um, you know, like if if there's one drumbeat that we have through this podcast, it's oh, there are 25 million versions of normal. Right. But really, we were raised to believe there was a. There also, was a in normal. that Tanner, going back to Tanner study, it's also like he was looking at if it's in England in the it was almost all white Anglo-Saxon. Oh yes. So like only looking racially at that one correct group right. of people and that becoming the standard norm of and I'm sure correct. it changes. Just biologically from... And, and by the way, probably undernourished children. Uh, yeah, well, the post-war population, it's really kind of interesting, right? Think about yeah. that. Like, you know, there were rations and he's taking pictures going, let's see what normal pubertal oh development God. looks like. So it's it, it's all pretty fascinating stuff. But but here you are, you know, fast forward and here you are. And, and you know, th- this experience of being a little bit of an outlier. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think 14, I mean, I don't know, I... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I examined my testicles plenty, but <laughs> on a I, minute to minute but, basis. But I, but I definitely, I mean, I remember more on hair because I was tracking. That was an easy thing to track, right? Like I think my, I probably grew my first pubic hair of any sort around 14, like around my 14th birthday. Like I don't think I, I don't think until. I definitely don't think like, I, I mean, I track it, remember going, yeah, I, I definitely don't think that was the end of eighth grade. And it was really not till ninth grade that stuff was started really happening. Right. I remember we went away as a family to the beach and we were coming off the beach and there was like an outdoor shower and Nick and I had come off the beach together. And, you know, as one does sort of pull out your bathing suit to get the sand out of 
cracks and crevices. And Nick and I were facing each other. He was under the shower and he pulled out his bathing suit. And I looked down and he had pubic hair. And being a deeply insensitive sister, I was like, Nikki, you have pubic hair. (laughs) I mean, what a shitty thing to do. And you were so furious and hurt by that. Mm -hmm. And um, no memory of it. You have no memory. Um, I have no memory of it. <laughs> I'm glad. You're, 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 I'm glad I've resurfaced it yeah. now. Um, well, but I you, sorry. Finish for your. No, saying. I just like what. Like, what could I besides not saying that in the first place? Like, what could I have done differently as your? Were you sibling? congratulating him? I was excited for him because I knew he was waiting for it to happen. I knew he'd been small. I knew, you know, he wasn't getting certain social opportunities. I knew that it was affecting his sports and we can talk about all of that stuff. I was excited for him, but it, I think came out as like a really patronizing Well, it's, it's funny comment. when, you know, as you said, I'm like, there's this part of me that was like, if, if I know myself, I probably kind of actually wanted you to see that I had pubes. Like, Oh, interesting. Like there's some part of me that was like, wanted you to know that it was happening. But then when it's called out, and if it's like Nikki, look at you. It's it what it's patronizing, and it actually probably weirdly like I wanted you to know that stuff was happening, but then the response infantilized it in some right, way, you right, know. Right. And it's this weird thing I'm sure you guys deal with with your kids and that audiences, uh, people listening at home because that's where everyone listens to podcasts is at home <laughs> around the fire. Um, but I On think full it's, volume. Yeah, is that it's um, is that like it's this weird push and pull, which is like, you want to acknowledge and let your child know that like you are with them in this journey. But also as soon as you let them know that, then they feel like they want to like shut the doors on you. So like, how do you figure out this way to like, to, to like, be like, I I see you, but also like, I'm not going to call this out and make you feel uncomfortable in in seeing you. So what could I have done? Like if you were going to script for me, either verbally or not, just like notice and Notice it and just clock it and not say anything. Yeah. And that's the difference between a a sister and a parent. But I would say it's no different from a parent of being like, if you see that your kid's got pubes, you're like, noted. Right. Like, you know what I mean? And then it's not like, oh my God, you have pubic hair. You know, it's like, that's like, because I do think on some level, kids want you to know what's going on, right. but they just don't want you to call it out. You have a baby. Yeah. And I'm wondering. And he, he has no pubes yet. He's and it's not, freaking God, me out. Damn it. God damn it. So we draw him in. He's a very, he's a very late In glimmer. Sharpie. Is that normal? Is that okay? Pubes before you're out of diapers. Um, so... You know, I'm wondering if, as we're having this conversation, if you have projected any of this onto him and and wonder what his path is going to be. And specifically what I'm wondering about is late bloomers will often say that it is their late blooming status Mm. that made them work harder. They were scrappier. It is very much who they are, Mm -hmm. is connected with later physical development. And I'm wondering if that was sort of the silver lining from you, and it was it enough of a silver lining that you wish it for your child, or no? Mm. I mean, I de- I definitely think in the grand scheme of things, being a late bloomer was. I mean, it's it's central to my identity. You made a whole show. I about made a it. whole show about <laughs> it, and not only did I make a whole show about it, but I do see it as a central portion of my identity. And I think like being small. You know, because there's there's d- different things. I mean, there are kids who are short who are early, like, you know, who right. blossom right. early. Right. Um, and they're just short. Right. And then there's, like, people like me who were small and a late bloomer. And then, I, I, you know, I grew in high school. And so it was like, I, and I know a lot of when I, ta- you know, people who've seen the show, like, I, I can't tell you how many comedians came up, have come up to me and be like, I was a late bloomer mm. to actors and stuff like mm-hmm, that. Or I was, right. I was a late bloomer and mm-hmm. because it, it, it causes you to grow like other muscles or how do you become charming? How do you, Sorry. you know, how do you get yourself out of being bullied? How do you get girls to be interested in you when you're not, you don't have the same physical prowess as some of the other boys or girls or whatever. So I think that that definitely is a massive part of my identity and massive part of like how I communicate that I had to communicate so much verbally and also as an athlete understand 
the game, understand the intricacies of 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 like being. I was always a point guard because I was like I I will have to understand how basketball works in order to be good at basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also I hit a point where in basketball and baseball specifically that my size became a real detriment and I and no matter how well I understood the game I was just too small and it made me really focus elsewhere so instead of my identity being about my me as an athlete because I was a coordinated kid it, it I had to find other ways and for me it became marijuana um so I got the to try obvious, to get really good at that the obvious second choice um, after point guard right so um so the, to go back to answer your question, it's a huge part of my identity. I've made a show about it. I have, I, I, I don't, now that I'm a father, it's this weird thing where it's like, I am trying not to wish anything right. on my child. Yeah. Right. Like, which is going to be impossible. Yeah. But I tr- I'm trying not to put, I'm going to do my best to not put as little as my shit on him as possible. But I can already tell like, like, you know, when we're like, where he's naked and I'm like, he should be naked more. Like, you know, I don't know when you have like a four month old, you're so worried about pee constantly that they have, you know, they're just going to pee on everything. So you're kind of, kind of constantly covering them in a diaper, but then I want him to be free and naked and I want him to be comfortable. Like being burp, burp cloth on the penis. Oh, burp cloth. Burp cloth on the penis. Yeah. And then if they pee, then it just soaks up the burp cloth. Yeah, But it's also up. like, what is baby pee? It's like, it's like, like water. I know. Exactly. It's Yeah. You drink a cup of it a day, and it's good for you. Um, <clears throat> so, is this is that this is this the kind of podcast where I say that you can say anything you want? Thank you. So, um, so I I will try to put as little, but I think I I already am like you know just trying to be like great. Look at you, you look great. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're so wonderful. I mean, it's we did we did a episode about leaving your shit at the door, like mm-hmm. not bringing your baggage into parenting kids through puberty. And if you, you know, we do that exercise and you've been in our workshops where we write down on a post-it note, like what is our baggage Mm -hmm. that we're bringing in? And, you know, yours could theoretically be being a late bloomer Mm -hmm. or getting pubes later, being shorter, you know, part of that experience. And the goal is to move that out of the room when we, and it's, I mean, as you say, it is like a constant struggle when you're raising kids. Like it is a day to day struggle of not projecting your shit on your kids. Because our identity is so connected with our physical and emotional development during puberty. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. And also your formed memories are so much stronger starting right around when you start Mm. puberty. So if you think about it, your first, like if you close your eyes and think back to the first real memory you have that is not informed by a picture that you have seen mm. in a photo album. Mm. When is that memory? Like, what's that? Really, where is that memory and when is it? And, you know, most studies suggest it doesn't happen until you're somewhere around seven, eight, mm-hmm. right? Because it requires the limbic system to be really on board and filing away the memory. And that is the same part of the brain that is ruling all of your poor judgments during puberty. Right. Huh. And so your formed memories, your earliest formed memories are right at the moment where all this is taking off, which is kind of amazing. Really? Right. And yeah. on the on the flip side, I interviewed a, a neuroscientist, uh, Dr. Molly Colvin, who talks about how the neural pathways during the tween and teen years are being formed. Mm. And that makes things very bumpy for kids. On the flip side, if you learn coping skills during that time, those are written into your neural code into adulthood. Mm. So like what you developed, what you built, the resilience that you formed in that time as a, for example, late bloomer who was like just trying to get by and figure stuff out, that has stayed with you Mm -hmm. into adulthood. So it's not just like, hey, dude, you're really scrappy. That's great. It is like your brain has literally written that, those abilities. Sure, but the, and I'm assuming the other side of that is true as well, which is like the triggers of of insecurity and shame and are also then written deep, pretty deep in there. And, yeah. there. and there are definitely grooves that are, that are, that go deep from that, yeah. you know, that stick with you. Yeah, so as you say, Cara, the trauma is oh, written yeah. in. Yeah, I mean, you encode memories from trauma much more effectively, right? I mean, we can all take 
a nanosecond to pull out a traumatic memory, right? This instant, right? And it doesn't have to be traumatic negative. Like some, there are traumatic positive, right? They're, they're dramatic positive mm-hmm. memories, mm. um, but, but trauma seals it for sure. Yeah. You know? So I, I'm curious, like we're here, you're, you've done several seasons of Big Mouth mm-hmm. where you've like explored this topic of being a late bloomer. You've told lots of stories, but even still sitting here, it's like you're feeling it viscerally, right? Like you're mm-hmm. you're reacting to the conversation about being a late bloomer. And I'm wondering, what is it about creating the seasons and writing the show that like is helpful? And what is it that kind of still sits there about being a late bloomer that kind of never, doesn't necessarily get resolved even as you continue to work on it? After we've been Zooming all day, we both hit the same wall. We forgot about dealing with dinner. But given what we do for a living, we know the importance of feeding ourselves and our families well, and we want it to be yummy. So we're psyched to have found Factor. Factor's chef-created, ready-to-eat meals show up at our front doors. With over 35 different options a week to choose from, Cara goes vegan and veggie while I opt for a whole variety since I have so many kids. Two-minute prep gets us restaurant-quality full meals snacks, and smoothies. And Factor is less expensive than takeout. And because flexibility is key, you can choose anywhere from 6 to 18 meals per week, and you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor meals require no prepping, no cooking, and no cleanup. Our kids are thrilled by the lack of dishes. So get started today and have a week of meals ready to go, taking the dinner prep pressure off. Head to factormeals.com slash puberty50. Use the code puberty50 to get 50% off. That's code puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50. We know it's really tough when a kid's skin is breaking out for the first time or the hundredth time. But now there's an effective product that can help. It's called Phyla and it's clinically proven to fix acne by targeting the bad bacteria on the skin without eliminating all the good bacteria. This rebalances the skin's microbiome, treating existing breakouts and preventing new ones. Phyla's active ingredient is a probiotic isolated from the skin of healthy, acne-free individuals. This means Phyla can stop acne before it starts by eliminating bacteria in the pores without irritating or drying skin. And Phyla is safe for kids of all ages. Dermatologists recommend this easy three-step system. Just cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. My own kids actually use this product. They love it because it works so well. Get 25% off your first order of Phyla with the code PUBERTY. Go to phylobiotics.com and type in the code PUBERTY at checkout. Link is in the show notes to get started. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, it's the, the show has been a blessing in, in, in many, many different ways. But one of which is art as therapy is a huge thing of just, like I think with all of this stuff, the more that you can understand yourself, the less... Um, the less out of control you feel inside of right. it. And so the more that this show has been a real examination of the, this seminal period in my life, pun slightly I intended. S- I love that pun. It's my favorite pun um, in the whole world. And, but like, you know, or le- non-seminal in, in the case of where I was. <laughs> A-seminal. Yeah, in, the, in that moment. But but I think that, you know. Pre-seminal. Yeah, pre-seminal. <laughs> um, is that I, it definitely like understanding, but for me, and as the seasons have gone on and and as we continue to try to push forward in, in inside of the show and the universe is like, you know, in this last season that aired in season four, you know, you deal with my, I deal with Nick's anxiety of, of what his future self is going to be like this character that we created called Nick Starr, who's a fictionalized version <laughs> of music, like a 40 something game show host um, who lives alone um, in like his like, you know, tower above the the detritus of the apocalyptic future world uh, with a robot version of Andrew um, and is incredibly scared of intimacy and walking towards love and towards someone. And 
there were elements to that that were happening in my personal life while we were writing that. I was deciding whether I was going to like jump, dive all in with my girlfriend at the time, my now wife and mother of my child. But while we were writing it, it was, I was like in one room during a break, like having a fight with her about like whether we were going to like take this leap. Mm. And then I'd go back into my writer's room and be writing about it. And ultimately we chose to stay together and walk towards love and not walk away from it. And we had sort of had this moment where we were kind of falling out and, and then we got, got together it was, and she's like, what's going on with the show? And I was like, well, here's funny what's happening. Should funny should ask. Nick Starr was deciding whether he wanted to like embrace intimacy or die alone in space. <laughs> and she was like, holy shit, you're really, and it was this, it, it was a real gift because I was working through so much of what I was going through. Right. And and it's directly connected to what was happening at in in that puberty period because I think these feelings of being a late bloomer leading to feelings of inadequacy, then leading to feelings of like w- one must protect oneself against being uh, shamed or being unloved or not being chosen became a, a groove that is something that was a pretty deep groove inside mm-hmm. of me, and this show has been this way for me to work through it and going to therapy and talking about it in therapy and then going back to the room and thinking, talking about it in our writer's room and then coming up with stuff in the writer's room and then bringing that to therapy and being like, hey, this is what we've been talking about in the room. This is how this is manifesting in in the art. And, and, and my therapist being like, that's really interesting. Let's dig into that more. And even still through all of that, even still yeah. through six seasons of a show, through all of these other elements, through talking about it in press, talking about it on a podcast, you know, those grooves are still really deep. There's still elements of, of like fear of intimacy, of fear of, of deep, of feeling of being rejected mm-hmm. um, that are still there. So, and I have all of these tools and have a family that was I was able to talk about it with and a sister who is professionally <laughs> working in this space and still it's there. And maybe now you could argue maybe the other side of that is maybe because there has been such a focus on it and such a dissection of it that it 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 actually I don't allow things to just naturally occur or release themselves, you know? I don't know. Well, you know, it's it's so interesting because the first season that the show came out, and I think I've told you this story before, but um, I was driving around LA and for whatever reason, Big Mouth pre-season one was heavily advertised on bus stops, uh, you know, very heavily. And um, there are a series of bus stops to and from my kid's school. And I remember the first time I had a book coming out and I don't remember which book it was, but I remember seeing the billboard and I was so upset. Um, I did not know who you were. I'd never yeah. heard of you. It horrified my kids. Um, I just thought he is going to make fun of what we do for mm. a living. And we fight so hard to get the right information out. And here's this bunch of yahoos and they're going to yeah. screw it up for us, basically. <laughs> and then I watched the show. Mm. And what you're describing emotionally is also what you guys do medically and and through your content, which is you you push to get it right. Yeah. And the package yeah. may not be the package that parents are expecting, mm-hmm. which is the beauty of it, because you're not talking to the parents. Mm-hmm. But you're there is not I cannot find a piece of information in there that's wrong. Um no, not that I was looking for it or anything <laughs> in that enough, first season. Were, yeah. We probably don't want our twelve year olds to have sex with a chicken. <laughs> okay. Okay. No chicken, it was a turkey. Sorry, turkey. <laughs> <laughs> but you know cooked the, or uncooked. The, yeah. the I can't remember. Facts of the matter, that the medical facts of the matter, the emotional facts of the matter are all laid bare. And I feel like that's what you're describing right now is you're still replaying trying to get it right, mm-hmm. um, which is why there's sort of an army of pediatricians who say to parents, here, you know, sort of, here, here's a bunch of warnings, but this show is great. Mm. And this is why, because they get it, they get it right. And, you know, I'm a big believer in there have to be 12 ways that the same piece of information mm. is presented yeah. Yeah. in order for different people around the world to be able to receive it. And your way is one of the ways. You're, you were better at communicating a lot of these things to my kids than I was. And I do this for a living mm. in this form and you do it in your form. And the voice was I was hoping louder. you would say that so I didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Cara, the first time we spoke, you were like, you know, frankly, I'm, I was so pissed frankly, at you. I'm really annoyed. 
about the show. And I was like, Kara, that's, that's my little brother. But what I did say to you is, trust me, they are working really hard to make sure that what they portray is accurate and is based in science and they are talking to experts. And then I was like, do you want to go talk to the writer's room? Mm. Um, and, and then I was like, well, and this is our first conversation, and so I don't know him and I don't know you, and you're both wrong. You know, I, I was so <laughs> sure that you were both. But it's an interesting thing, and I think, you know, I think there's a— we live in a world right now where as we leave our baggage at the door, what we cannot leave at the door is our truth mm-hmm. and good information. And I feel like you walk that line so beautifully Thank in the you. show. And Thank you. I, in I, I appreciate it. And I, it's uh, something we do take incredibly seriously. And I think because puberty is in popular culture is oftentimes diminished to like boys jerk off a lot. And that's it. Right. And girls are get their period and it's gross. Like we we talk about that stuff a lot, but I think it's disrespectful to kids and it's disrespectful to puberty itself to diminish it to just that. A hundred percent. And so we have we try to be and also it will limit creatively what we do. And I think every time we have a issue creatively the more that we go to the science, the more that we go to the to, to the folks like you who are who are looking at it from another angle, because we've talked to, you know, we've had conversations with you, we've had conversations with Peggy Orenstein, we've had conversations. Peggy connected us to Shafia Zaloom, who's an amazing, amazing sex educator up in in the Bay. Um, and Brene and Brene Brown, we used her her theories on shame to create the Shame Wizard. We talked to therapists about anxiety and ways to deal with anxiety. We talked, I mean, we've also now in in, in the last season, we had a trans uh, character and we talked to trans kids. We talked to our trans animators, writers. We've talked to, we were, you know, as we delve into other elements of this, of that we continue to try to talk to the people who are actually studying it or going through it. Because anytime we have a creative issue, the more that we go back to what is really happening to these kids, we come up with the most interesting creative solutions to it. I mean, the other thing that I th- I think makes the show so beautiful, and frankly, I'm probably going to start crying. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you're going to start crying. <laughs> Crolls cry uh-huh. a lot. You really um, like alliteration, don't yeah. you? <laughs> Crolls cry. <laughs> what I love about your work in Big Mouth and elsewhere is how empathy guides it. Mm. You know, your comedy, your stand-up, and Big Mouth is guided by empathy for these kids, the kids of all kinds, the late bloomers, the early bloomers, Mm -hmm. the kids struggling with um, mental health issues, the kids struggling with gender identity. And I think it's so important, even if Big Mouth isn't geared towards like adults or parents, although many, many, many adults love the show, the empathy that you exhibit in that show is the most important guiding principle to adults caring for kids in puberty. Because if we lead with empathy, if mm-hmm. we lead with, what's going on with you? Like, mm-hmm. I, I want to be helpful. How can I be helpful? Or like, I'm really sorry that's happening. That must really suck. Mm-hmm. Um, then we are more likely to get other stuff right. Mm. Um, and... I think that's how the show becomes so inclusive because you lead with empathy and mm-hmm. trying to meet people where they are and not where mm. they're supposed to be. Thank you. Um, and it's really, it's really beautiful. I will say that if your kids are watching Big Mouth and they haven't had, you know, health and human development classes, if you're not regularly talking about puberty and sexuality in your home, it's probably something you want to watch with them or want to be checking in with them yeah. about. Yeah, I mean, I'll say anecdotally a few things. Thanks. Thank you for both of you for saying nice things about the show. It's easy because I'm your brother and um, <laughs> and also Vanessa. I have no reason. Yeah, yeah. No, but, it, but I think— um, Remember, I started off really pissed off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think a couple things. One, we didn't make the show thinking that kids were going to watch it. We made the show because it was a show that we wanted to watch. It was like for adults. It then turned out to be something that kids watched. And we were like, oh, sh-. but we were like, oh, good. We were trying to 
we were trying to be mindful that kids might watch this, and so the lessons and messaging needs to be clear for kids who might not be able to parse it as well as adults can. So, but but the idea that that kids have watched the show was is for us a, a ultimately, I believe, like a happy co- not coincidence, but turn of events. The show is we you guys have been nice to not really because it's usually framed as like the show is very dirty. It's ex- incredibly explicit in yes. all manners. It is incre- the the language is dirty, the content is dirty. It's like disgusting right. in there a lot of ways. There are lots of trigger warnings for your show. Yes. Yeah. And so I we for those who who haven't seen the show, I appreciate you guys not leading with it, but for those listening to this podcast who are here to like get information about puberty, it's it's so dirty. But so, and this is what I talk about with pe- the press or whoever I talk about it who might not be. It's it's so dirty, but I really do believe the messaging is is trying to be as empathetic and truthful as possible. Of what's going on? And for those of people who are like, it's too dirty for my kids to watch. That's fine. I mean, Andrew, my partner's kids are a little young still, but the, his what he said is like when the kids are the age of the kids going through it, yeah. then they can watch it. And yeah. I think that's a fair. I think that's a very fair thing because for the parents out there who are like, it's too dirty. I'm just telling you, your kids have access to things on the internet that they can get to as easily as they can get to Big Mouth on Netflix. It's no, no, no. The internet, those, you know, if, if it's, that's code for porn, porn's finding them. Yes. And so. And earlier. Earlier and earlier on, on their social media, it's, if porn is finding them. Porn is finding and them. So yeah. I'd rather them find you. Yes. A hundred percent. Porn. And then also like beheading videos. Oh, right. Yes. Like there right. are it's, there there's are, a dark there's a dark darkness world. to the web. So so that's right. And but and porn will find them. And I think we so we we've made a very, very concerted effort to be like, this is a very frank, disgusting discussion about sexuality, but there's not much porn out there that is there's some, but there's not much porn out there that's really thinking about like what are what would this do to a 12 year old watching this, you know? Right. And the rule in my house is you have to be 12 to watch Big Mouth, even though you know you're their uncle. Yeah, um, that was where. And there was stuff. A lot of the stuff that's pretty out there, and some of it's out there like creatively, not just like gr- graphically sexual. There's just stuff they don't get. Like it just goes over there. Yeah. Heads. Like most cartoons and animated show, there are things that are there for that you watch when you're 12 that you don't, or 10, you don't get and that the parents get. And then it comes around. One thing that I was interesting about that, because you're, was one of your kids was younger and got to watch, I think the Valentine's day special and yeah. you, what you made. I don't know if you want to say what your ex- yeah. the exercise was, but so I she it was wasn't, really- she wasn't yet 12, but was really eager to watch it. So we watched it together. It was a Valentine's Day special. I think it came out like two years ago. Yeah. And I made a deal with her like, okay, you can watch it, but we're going to like kind of debrief on it afterwards. I want to hear your thoughts on it. And she kind of wrote down her thoughts and her challenges to some of the decisions they made in the show. And then we sent it to Nick. Mm-hmm. And what was your reaction to I that? Just, I thought it was really smart. I think it was like questions or thought, like you, it was like, you know, not treating it like homework, but making, like trying to dissect what was happening and how she was feeling about it, um, which I thought was a really cool, interesting exercise for it. And the stage she was at, she reacted to the emotional relationships between the characters. She wasn't reacting to like the puberty aspects or the sexuality aspects it was about how they treated each other because mm. that's where she was yeah. developmentally. She could access kind of like thoughts and feelings about their relationships, but not necessarily about the other stuff that she wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. I, I want to normalize the experience for parents who are not Vanessa. And <laughs> because the vast majority of families in America are not watching Big Mouth together as a right. family show. Um, <laughs> when, <laughs> when the show first came out, my kids asked if they could watch it. I did not have that rule, though they were over 12. And um, I watched the first episode and didn't hate you so much. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, fine. Um, And then I said, let's watch it together. And we, you know, we have our shows. We have like, you know, our whatever our family shows are that crack us up. And they relegated everyone to separate rooms to watch a show. I was going to say. I mean, it's very. But what's amazing is when season two dropped, it was in the middle of a school day. And the entire library, apparently, was filled with kids 
watching season two on their phones, on their computers, Mm. which I thought was amazing given that in our home, adults could be nowhere Mm. near the kids while watching. Oh, interesting. But, you know, like I would not have imagined Big Mouth to be a show I would watch at school, right? (laughs) But in the library, right? Yes. And and my kids said, no, it was, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of computers on Big Mouth. Well, I would, I would just add to that. It's, it's sort of adding on what you're saying. It's something that I kept wanting to earmark, which is what I get anecdotally is people being like, I tried to watch it with my son. He refused to watch it with me. We watch it separately yeah. and then we can talk about yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, and so I would, if for the parents out there who aren't going to sit there with their kid, because it's like, I don't want to, I mean, there are certain shows you watch as a family, but also there's just stuff you don't want to watch with your kid or your I kid mean, doesn't want to watch with you. Right. That's how people right. read my books. And my books are not gross, yeah. right? They are not, there are no trigger warnings and kids don't want to read the book with the parents. Yeah. So they read separately they and, then they have they a conversation. Separate, and then they have a conversation. And then you have a conversation in the car when you're not looking at yes. each other or in the dark or yeah. whatever it is. And you go totally. to those places. Well, the way my older boys, my teenage boys, what they do is they watch the season first on their own and then they're willing to rewatch it with me. Mm. That's very Because evolved. they know that, A, it's my brother who <laughs> created it, but B, they know that I want to connect with them over it, um, but they don't want their first experience of it with me. They mm. want it separately. Um, and that's like, then they're just kind of throwing me a bone, which I, you know, which I appreciate. But I, I want to just circle back then to a comment that you made, Nick, about how some parents are really offended by the content. And I think it is really important for parents to know what their kids are consuming in terms of content. Mm. And if they're offended by the content and their kids are watching it anyways, that's a great conversation. Why are the parents offended by the content and the kids not? What do the kids find in the content? You know, parents often think they're supposed to know everything and they're supposed to be the teachers. But you have a good example of a tool where the kid can be the teacher. The kid can say to the parent, this is why I like it. These are the subjects that are covered. Mm. This is the language that is used. Parents and kids, if there's conflict over whatever you're watching or doing, or you know, and there's going to be conflict, having a conversation around the conflict instead of covering your ears and la-la-laing your way through it, if your kid's watching it— Go watch it, yeah. figure out what they're doing, and and then talk to them. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, inside the show, for those who haven't seen it, there's, you know, the kids all have, it started with hormone monsters, and they're these, you know, anthropomorphization of of the feeling of, of sex or rage or whatever. And then over the seasons, we've evolved into these other characters of shame wizards and depression kitties and anxiety mosquitoes. And the nicest thing that I've heard anecdotally and directly is is kids saying, like, I use, I will tell my mom, like, the depression kitty's sitting on my chest mm. today and stuff like that, which I really, really like to hear. So, like, there there is language there and platforms there to for for parents to use with their kids or kids to use with their parents to say, like, this is my hormone. I was my hormone monster. Right. And it shouldn't be a get-out-of-jail-free card, but, but there is, it gives some... Uh, yeah, just a, a... It's a conversation starter. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, Nick, if in the experience of writing the show and creating the show, did it give you empathy or better understanding of other people's experiences, right? The the dyad of you and Andrew, you're the late bloomer, Andrew's the early bloomer. Mm. And I wonder if you had like envy of him as an early bloomer going into it or not, and whether having now worked on the show, whether you have like a better understanding or kind of open-heartedness about other people's experiences. For sure. I, I think, you know, when we were writing the pilot, the pilot is really the easiest way. Was it was it's about Nick and Andrew. I mean, the show is now about a spectrum of kids in, in different situations, but it started with Nick and Andrew. One was, a, the pitch was always like, one's a late bloomer, one's an early bloomer. And, you know, I think in the pilot, it's like Nick sees Andrew's penis and his friend's penises and they've all hit puberty and Nick hasn't. And, you know, and his his parents try to talk to him. And and this is what our mom would talk to us about. It was like sort of in that what's happening to me stage of like, well, your friends are, you know, you're you're like, you know, there are signs of puberty. Your nipples are engorged or swollen or your eyebrows are growing in. And, 
and those are secondary sex characteristics. You know, Nikki, those are secondary sex <laughs> right. characteristics. So I, so I remember clocking and like looking at my friend's like nipples to be like, okay, he's, and like looking at my own and be like, yeah, my nipples are still like inverted little softies, um, <laughs> let alone like not having pubes or like my like penis not growing to like man size at that point. But, and I, so I remember clocking that stuff and it was like, okay, that feels like a good area for the pilot, but we didn't really crack the pilot open until the end of the episode when Nick and Andrew realized like everything, I think one of us says like everything is embarrassing, mm -hmm. whether you're, cause Andrew in the pilot slow dances with a girl and comes in his pants mm -hmm. cause he can't control himself. And you realize empathetically for both of us. And I think we knew this to some extent when we were younger, but not until we really made the show that yeah. it was like, whether you're an early bloomer, late bloomer, it's all embarrassing. It's all uncomfortable. You are comparing yourself to your friends. You are comparing yourself to the, what you're seeing in the pop, in popular culture. And all of it feels kind of terrible. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that has helped me and then, and then, as we've now explored all these other characters and kids, both girls and boys, and all the different elements of puberty and and adolescence and human sexual development, it has made me grow in empathy. So, but I'll, so I'll ask you guys a question because going back to like leaving quote quote unquote leaving your baggage at the door, it feels as though empathy is built on like I. I can empathize with you. Like, oh, I remember what this, like, how, so how do you feel empathy, but also not bring your shit mm -hmm. into the conversation? Yeah. I mean, I would say that when we say leave your baggage at the door, it's a euphemism for just shut up, <laughs> right? It's don't, it's bring your experience into the conversation, but don't make the conversation about you. Uh -huh. So, um, Baggage to me is the the loud vocal part of parents filling space with their kids when the kids aren't ready to talk or don't have the words for it yet. So the parent just dominates with their own history and mm. their own experience. You can have, I mean, you, you can't not have right. your own experience. Right. So yes, that informs you, but it's really how do you leave your storytelling at the door and let your child have their own story? How do they write? You know, it's, it's sort of back to the porn conversation. The concern about porn online is it's writing the sexual narrative for children before they ever become sexually active. Mm -hmm. That's why it's not okay. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there are a whole host of other reasons why, but that's at the nugget. That's why we don't want young kids watching porn. Ditto for every other experience through puberty. Mm. Kids need to write their own mm -hmm. narratives. Mm -hmm. And it's not a parent's job to take over that narrative. That's and, what I would And say. it sounds like in the room with your kid, bringing your baggage into the room sounds like, oh, that sucks. I also had this experience where um, someone made fun of my boobs and I felt really self-conscious and I locked myself in the bathroom for four hours. Leaving your baggage at the door and having empathy sounds like, wow, I'm really sorry that happened to you. What did that feel like mm -hmm. when they said mm -hmm. something about mm -hmm. your boobs, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, we know enough that that, like having that experience, we know it was hard. We can name the difficulty of it, but then we also are listening from our kids. What what was it like for them rather than telling them what it was like for us? Mm. Um, and I think that's so much of what we're hoping to do on this show is to give parents that offer up those distinctions and give them the language and the script to bring the empathy and leave the baggage. Mm. Yeah. One of the things my kids often will say to me is, don't use the phrase, I get it. Mm -hmm. mm. I know just right? how you feel. I know just honey. how you feel. No, you don't. Right. Mm. And especially during the pandemic. Um, and when we were all locked in and I would say, I, I totally get it. What are you talking about, mm -hmm. mom? You did not have any of these experiences. We're living in a, you know, once in a lifetime experience as it is. So I think that's, mm. that's the distinction. But now here's, here's sort of my last question for you, which is what advice do mm -hmm. you have for kids entering puberty like you did mm -hmm. later, mm -hmm. um, what what pearl can you pass? And maybe in the context, especially of coming out of a pandemic, 
when all these kids have been inside Mm -hmm. and in these teeny tiny social circles for so long, Mm. and now they're going to recongregate. And it's been a year, year and a half for a lot of them, and everyone's moved quickly through puberty, except maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, you. And here's the the most isolating experience of the late bloomer is everything got fast forwarded for everyone except for me. And if you speak to that kid, you know, having lived that experience and having taken that experience and really transformed it for Mm. good, what would you say to that kid who comes out of their bedroom and is still, you know, has inverted nipples? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I'm like, oh, what would I say? I don't, I, it's like, it's weird. Cause I, it's such a, it's like, I'm like, oh, I wish I had an answer to this because there's no, the problem with all of this is there's no solution to it. Mm. There's just like, like, I want to say like, be patient, but like, that's impossible. I want to say like, you know, like focus on, I mean, there's lots of things to do. Focus on the other things, the elements that are good in your life that you do have um, going for you. But that doesn't feel like, you know, saying that to someone, you know, it's like if if someone's broke, you know, just being like, one day you're going to have money. It's like, who cares? I'm fucking broke today. Right, right. Um, So... I think it's, I mean, it's ultimately what we're all constantly dealing with, which is like, you are always going to feel like there are things that you don't have like that. And the more that you compare yourself to others, the more you are going to find yourself wanting mm-hmm. that we, you have to try to figure out to find the things about yourself that you do like, or the the things that are special about you or, but I'm saying this and I'm like, if I were a kid, I'd be like, fuck you. But like, so let me, you know, like, so, so so let me flip it. If, if I'm an adult caring for a kid who is a late bloomer, what can I do? Yeah. What can I say, if anything, besides, you know, talking to a pediatrician and making sure my kid doesn't need to see an endocrinologist, like making sure there's not something medically that needs to happen. But like, what what does kindness and generosity of spirit sound like from an adult who's got a kid living in their home who is a late bloomer? Mm-hmm. Is it, hey, Nick, I noticed that a lot of your friends are going through puberty and, you know, we know that that's not happening yet for you. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do you want to talk about that it? would make if I hearing that right now, I'm like rage, rage, rage. OK, because it's like you're I'm clocking, you're clocking it and you're having this conversation without me. And then you're coming to me trying to be like. Like that makes me feel rage. Yeah. So I'm like somehow leaving the door open without calling out what's happening. Yeah. So without being like, I see that your kid, your friends are hitting puberty and you're not like that would make me. Hey, tiny dick. Yeah. That would make me <laughs> hit the ceiling. Right. So I think it's like, and again, I, I guess this, this is what you guys are doing here, which is like figuring out a way to leave the door open without calling out what's happening. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, I also think like find, trying to figure out what those cues are that your kid is trying to let you know that they're struggling with this or maybe they're not. Because that's the other thing is like some kids are not clocking like I'm late. Like they're just like in their own heads, like doing what they're worried about. Like, you know, they're worried about the video game they're playing. They're right. worried about school. They're not worried about like physically what's or happening. Or they don't want to rush through it, frankly. Yeah. Some yeah. kids are yeah. scared. Like some, yeah. I think because uh, some kids do witness what's happening to other kids and they're like, oh, that doesn't look fun. It smells awful. Yeah, right? that <laughs> smells awful. That looks awful. That like, you know, because that's the other thing is like Andrew... I mean, it was traumatic in its own way for me, but I was seeing Andrew had like terrible acne mm. and I was thrilled not to have terrible acne, right. you know, like, you know, so there are things to it that are like, that are not fun that I, I, I think I was happy to not deal with. I think it's like leaving that door open, figuring out ways to be like, I am here for you to have these conversations either directly or obtusely, if that's what you want to have, right. you know, or, and I think ultimately knowing that like, yes, minus the kids who are really struggling and need to see an endocrinologist. But I've even witnessed that where it's like, they're taking a seems like, and I'm like, we're all late bloomers. Right. Like we're, our family's like, the kids are going to hit puberty right? because they hit puberty. I understand. And I think I tried to get mom to take me to see someone. 
I like, you know, because I was getting worried. Right. You know, it's like we all it happens. Of course, you could speak medically. There's probably that's a, a broad statement that I'm making. That's not entirely that's true. That's OK. You're not a doctor. I know. But but I think like letting kids know that it's going to happen. Yeah. And it might take a little longer. But just like just like you had the conversation, like they're going to get their phone. But it's not happening until this point. And, and it's different because you're like, at 12, you get your phone. But like, there is going to come a point when you are going to get to watch this show. There's going to come a point where you're going to get your own phone. There's going to p- come a point where you hit puberty. Would it be helpful for a parent to say, if I were in your shoes, I might feel this way. I don't know how you feel, but I would love to understand it. So come talk to me anytime. Is that an into it or does that still I, I cause think that's, rage? That's better. I mean, I think it's... Cara, you did better than I did. I did. No, it's, I <laughs> duly noted. You win. Yeah. You win. <laughs> no, but I think it's... And again, I think that... But even that in and of itself is this thing that I think, again, I'm just beginning as a parent and you guys have been dealing with as parents and as professionals in this is like somehow figuring out a way to extract your, not only your baggage, but your ego of right, like, right. I'm winning at talking to my kid I'm about I'm winning puberty. at parenting. That's yes, right. I'm I mean, it's really screwed up. And and one of the things we talk about endlessly is um, we do screw up parenting all the time. So when you talk about acne, so my son had a full crop of acne for a significant portion of the pandemic. And here I am, this is what I do for a living. And these words came out of my mouth. You are so lucky this is happening now when you're on Zoom and you can have a filter and you wear a mask every day in public. And talk about rage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, and, and then by the way, to me, a very fair piece of advice. For uh, yeah, well, yeah. I thought so but the, looks, but, the look, but the look on the bright side tact just sucks yeah. when yes. you are like a yes. 14-year-old boy. I mean, that's, I, I, I definitely hear that. I mean, everybody is going to screw up in this. Um, I wish we could license the new Bruno Mars song, Leave the Door, Just Leave the Door Open. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we have the budget for that. But that, I think, is a really beautiful way Leave the door open and also like figure out a way to not call like going back to that thing of, again, you were a ch- you were a child too of being like, oh, look, you have pubes. Like Nikki. figure out a way to not like like look for the cues that your kid is t- telling you about like this is happening to me or this isn't happening to me and then not like call it out frantically about what's what that's it right. is that's happening. Right. Like, and definitely not publicly. Oh yes. my God. That's a, that's right. A yes. Right. Yeah. So we're going to end, we like to end on just like a practical puberty piece of advice. And I think your leave the door open, like leave an opportunity is mm. a great way to end. Yeah. Let's um, give one medical one though, just to offset yeah. some medical information by Dr. Kroll. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. If there's nothing happening, zero, zero, zero by the age of 14, then you should take your kid to the pediatrician so that they can examine, the pediatrician can examine testicle growth. And if there is no testicle growth at age 14, that's an appropriate Mm -hmm. endocrinology referral. If there's nothing happening before age 14 and there is depression or anxiety around it, that's a kid who also needs to see their pediatrician Mm -hmm. to talk about strategies to solve it. Mm -hmm. So those two little... That's, and that's for boys. Is boys. there anything for girls? Girls tend to develop a little bit earlier, although we use um, not having gotten your period by 16 as a marker. If there's zero physical development by about 13, usually the same referral will be made. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Do you know there's not a single doctor in our entire family, like generations back and generations across, like there's not a well, single. Well, there are 35 million <laughs> Dr. Nattersons. So, you know, you could just. That's why, that's why I'm friends with you, because yeah. I, I want free medical advice. Um, so that's really helpful for those of you listening. And frankly, I hope if you have a late bloomer in your home that you have that child come and listen to this episode, because I think it helps them feel like they are not alone, like there is hope, there is opportunity for great success and accomplishment and a way to use that challenging experience um, and transform it into really positive things later in life. So 
feel free with the exception of a little bit of profanity on my part. Yeah. And or and like also like look at Anthony Davis, like professional mm-hmm. basketball player who grew, I mean he, he was probably hit puberty but like what like grew like 7 inches his like junior year of high school right. and became like a center from a guard. I mean it's a very different example but there are things like that that like and he's a great ball handler uh, because he grew like, Pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Seminal moment. Yes, yes. Thanks, Nick. I love you. Love you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thanks for that. That see, that brings me rage. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Um, I know there's nothing you can do about it. No, it's not. I think. <laughs> I think I'm. No, I think I'm proud of you because you did something I could never have done. Which is what? Which is create this show. Create yeah. Big Mouth. You married your experience, your creativity, your tenacity your inclusiveness to bring in all different kinds of people and give them room to tell their stories. Which is exactly what you're doing here. Okay, so maybe I could so have done, all it. done it. Are you proud but of I, me? But I think it's like we all do these things in our own specific ways. Right. Yes. So you can say it to me. It won't fill I'm me I'm proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> I really am. I'm, I'm very excited that you guys are doing this. I think it's going to be really useful and... and um, I'm I'm glad it's going to be out in the world because it's going to be really helpful to people. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the puberty podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 